Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to the Pre-Hospital Podcast. Alright, welcome back to episode 4 of the Pre-Hospital Podcast. Um, today I am speaking to a colleague of mine, um, Andy Soames. Uh, Andy was a technician, uh, well, joined the ambulance service 14 years ago as a technician, has since become a paramedic and then joined Heart and um, progressed through Heart to a Heart team leader position and then um, became a training manager and is now working again as a paramedic within Heart. Um, so as you may have guessed, the topic of today's conversation is is talking about Heart, the hazardous area response team. Um, and yes, yeah, so I've just got Andy on to ask a few questions about that and have a bit of discussion around around what these guys can provide. Um, Andy, is that a fair introduction? Anything else to add, mate? Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty good. Um, uh, I'm not a great dancer, so I can't add that to my list, but I think that's pretty <laughs> much exactly as you've, uh, if you've, if you've, you've said. So yeah, I am as a heart paramedic again, um, which, is, which I'm enjoying. It's good. Yeah, nice one. So thanks for um, coming on and speaking to me. Um, kind of as I've alluded to, what I wanted to discuss um, was just in general, get a bit more of an understanding around what the hazardous area response team kind of is and what, what you guys can provide. Um, and then ask a few questions, you know, based around your experience and, um, and yeah, dig into a bit more about, um, about, yeah, what you guys do, I guess, if that's all right. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, cool. So first question then, let's get straight into it. Um, what is Heart and why was it started? Because I know it's not been around for too long um, in comparison to the ambulance service in general. Uh, yeah, um, Heart started out um, a few years ago now. And as you've said, it does stand for the Hazardous Area Response Team, which has already got team in it. So when people ask for the Heart Team, there's too too many teams in the title. But um, it started that out... Sounds, that sounds like a pet peeve. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, just, it's the same beast, pretty much. Uh, it started out a few years ago with uh, um, the initiation of um, some national incidents that were going on. And within those national incidents, uh, you know, training, exercise, moulage, stuff to do with major incidents, um, they had a load of people observing and, and checking things out. And and really what they found out is where the ambulance service existed at the time, um, there were some uh, gaps due to where the cordons existed and restrictions of working of where you weren't able to get a paramedic to the patient. Um, so it started out with, um, and still exists, where there's a central national reporting um, over and above that host trust, that host service. So where where we are and where we work we work uh, with local procedures and guidelines, but over and above that, it's still centrally reporting back to a national uh, ambulance resilience unit, which commonly call as, as NARU. Um, and we talk about the national and the local training quite a lot. Um, national training uh, is initiated at NARU, where all your basic training takes place. Um, well, the idea is that the whole idea is that you are there as a paramedic to um, attend the incident to with it under a you know the appropriate risk assessment and um, say system of work is to breach that cordon and become a paramedic where that patient is rather than be restricted by that perimeter so that's that's really the reason that heart exists yeah so that's an interesting one isn't it because as a you know kind of basic training as a paramedic and as an am- member of the ambulance service um, we're always taught that danger 
scene safety thing and then progress with your primary survey and stuff and the implication then is that um you know if, if you identify any danger to yourself or any kind of scene safety issues then you don't progress um because your own safety is paramount etc but i guess the point is that there especially in these kind of uh, major incident type situations there are going to be situations where there's a danger to yourself but there's a patient that needs help and i guess the kind of from what I'm, from what you're saying um it's not acceptable for us to just leave patients in that situation and, and never attend to them on the basis that there's some perceived danger to ourselves is that the idea yeah there was a there was a statement in one of those big national exercises by a uh, minister uh, member of parliament that one of the national run exercises uh, he said it is inconceivable in this day and age that we cannot deliver appropriate specialist care within a cordon on our land um, and I remember sitting down at, on standbys and um, you know waiting for the jobs to come in before heart existed and sitting there with a crewmate saying well, if this happened what would you do if that happened what would you do and all these things that fill your, fill your head with grand ideas oh, you know I'd I'd abseil off this with my shoe, shoelaces and I'd I don't know I'd tie towels over my head and run into burning buildings I, I think everyone's got a grand plan of what they do but I think like you say about danger and risk it's it's a danger and risk is there but if you can minimize if you can do something to um, eliminate minimize or protect yourself from that risk then that's got to be better than just your magic hive is hasn't it so yeah and i guess there's got there's got to be a balance hasn't there and i'm sure the patients in these in accordance would appreciate that um that kind of concept of of analyzing that danger and risk and there's there's something you mentioned as well which sounded like a buzz phrase which i'll pick you up on um you mentioned safe systems of work yeah um tell me a bit more about that so you could manage a risk and you could go to through what might be seen as your your ambulance danger as such and you can think well i I can do this and I can do that. But is everything that you're establishing um, safe? Is it? Does it take into consideration the aspects that you're aware of that are presenting in front of you? And if it does, then yeah, you can say that it's safe. But does it does it conform to anything? Does, is it an industry standard? Is it an adopted practice? Is it something that someone else could piggyback on and join in with and um, and continue with that rescue effort or that um, treatment effort? Um, if it doesn't, then it's either safe or it's a system, but they could be separate. So um, essentially the clues in the title in that, does it promote best practice, good practice moving forward? Is it something that's widely adopted and referenced and researched? Or is it something that you've just come up with and think, we'll have a hash at that? Because I think in the professional world, we're all moving away from let's have a hash at that and let's look at things that are either accepted in the industry accepted in the rescue world accepted within healthcare what is current good and best practice within um you know in paramedicine those things have to exist in in their entirety rather than just let's have a stab at it so that's really what a safe system of work is yeah and i guess that that then shows that your practice is defensible and i, I guess i have these discussions quite often especially around um cases that don't go well or end up in coroner's court and you know people get that kind of fear of those cases mm. and the 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 way I, te- I tend to think about those is that um as long as your decision that you make at the time is defensible um whether it goes right or wrong is not really the issue um, yeah <clears throat> you know it's, it's not great if, it, if something goes wrong but if you then reanalyze that and kind of look at root cause analysis um the question is over whether the decision you made was appropriate and it it just happened to go wrong or whether you made an inappropriate decision that was very likely to go wrong and i guess you know if not all jobs go well um and so on on the jobs that don't go too well and you know even the ones that go right if you look back at that the decision you made at the time was it like you say did you hash something together because you thought it was safe because you're a great swimmer so you jumped in a lake or was it that you did a dynamic risk assessment that you documented and discussed based on kind of like you say this safe system of work or or national kind of spec and therefore the risks that you took were appropriate um, for the situation that you're faced with. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think that is the thing that we we sometimes we we can we can only assess with what we what we're aware of and what we know. And I think it's one of those beauties that we have in heart is that you you're able to really thrash a lot of stuff out to work through 
what is tried and tested, what what does work, what is def- like you say, what is defensible, um, so that you can put the best decision again. Because it's you know we we can all end up somewhere, but it's also at that moment it's about what is best for that patient. And I think if I had the opportunity, if I had the choice, and my family was the other side of the cordon, I'd I'd far rather a you know a trained paramedic that's aware and will act appropriately within that within a safe system of work to be able to get to my family rather than just someone to hoik them out um because i think we all know that those days are are long gone and i think we we need to get treatment to people where they where they're at um rather than just a retrospective hope for the best yeah yeah exactly and that leads me quite nicely on to the next question then um which is so can you can you just go into a little bit more about the exact specialist capabilities of harks i know there's there's kind of set things that you guys do um can you just outline those different ones and tell us a bit about them yep yep um across the country that each heart team's set up in a in the same way it's portioned a uh, bunch of money from um from naru through nhs england um which should Therefore, in in each setup, in each place, each region, um, to have the the same um, ability, same capability to, you know, get to and deal with with, with casualties. So um, each part of the country should be the same. So it's not just something because where we work, it's each locality can up its uh, local concern or local risk sites or something to do specific training. But essentially. The main capabilities are um, breathing, app- breathing apparatus and chemical protection suits, uh, CBRNE and hazmat. Um, that's four different outfits already. Um, working at height and rope access, water rescue, unstable terrain, which uh, involves uh, you know, a vast array of things. But we also got our um, treasured Polaris um six-wheel drive vehicle um water rescue urban search and rescue which is great that's a that's a big big nationally recognized course as well um and the well-known love topic of uh mta um, as well so they're the the main ones that that exist throughout um the country for heart specialists yes that's quite a lot of stuff isn't it so mta marauding terrorist attack is that right yes yeah so they're so they're, they're the kind of um I mean, so that's a, a broad array of things, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. And how do you, because certainly as a critical care paramedic, we have um, X amount of things we do, but it's all kind of under one specialty, um, yeah. which we, you know, we train regularly. But um, with that broad array of things that you have to do, how do you ensure that you keep on top of those skills? Um, and, you know, how, how do you ensure those courses remain valid and how, how do you stay certified in all those different things? Yeah, um, I think training is a massive part of part of it, um, and the frequency of training is is pretty big. So we where we run where we are we run a seven week um, rotor, and that cycles through. And one of those seven weeks is taken out for for training, and you will then cycle through whatever your capabilities are, and uh, continually be reassessed, um, requalified in in those. And some of them have your yeah, industry standard that, that says something like breathing apparatus you can't go outside of that otherwise you're in breach of you know legally you'll have others that are frequency hits so four times a year we might have to hit a chemical protection suit um, we'll have to do uh, water rescue four times a year working at height four times a year um, and within that you'll have your recertification um, so yeah some are legal some are industry standard some are locally um, achieve frequencies as well so it's constant really and on shift you're still having to do training uh when the jobs aren't there you're uh you're, you're constantly training and i think all across all of these things you're still a clinician at the end of it um some capabilities are hugely taxing but being a paramedic and bringing paramedic skills to what you're doing and enhanced clinical skills at times um is probably the reason why people join heart it's not just to either be in the two camps of either we're all going to die or it looks like a big stag weekend on our training but um it's actually about do i want to do something that is being a paramedic in these environments uh so yeah that's that's exactly what it's for me 
Yeah, fair. And as a bit of an aside, then, as, as, that sounds like an absolute nightmare um, as a training manager. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many people you have to look after, but all that training for however many staff incorporating shift patterns and stuff sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it is. Um, I've, I've I've recently stepped out of being a training manager. I can see why. <laughs> for that reason, <laughs> I I learned so much when I was doing it, and I think seeing the other side of what it takes to put in the effort and trying to get you know say for example 90 people through all your courses all the time is 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 pretty epic but yeah it's got to be it has to happen and i think it only works with people's buy-in you know it only works with people who are on the you know within heart that um that put the effort in put the you know outside of your organized training they're the ones that are putting the effort into making sure that they're clinically moulaging and their their kits up to scratch and they're safe and the vehicles are sorted out um there's no time to to do that on the day of the race is there so yeah fair enough good stuff thanks for that mate um so tell me a bit a bit, a bit then about because it, it it kind of almost shrouded a mystery heart um the station i work at is is close to a heart unit and um, despite that, I don't really have much idea of what you guys do day to day. We just kind of run into you on jobs occasionally. Um, so can you give us a rundown of that? That's a bit of a um, cliched question, isn't it? But what's a typical day um, for a heart operative? Um, yeah, at the moment, it's face fitting and making sure people are wearing their masks properly. Um, of course, yeah. <laughs> that's what in, I, a, in the non-pandemic world, if we ever yeah, return to it. <laughs> what happened? What did we do? Um but yeah, to be fair, it's a there is seldom a, a typical a typical day. But I think we also are aware that we run on seasons as well. Like at the moment, you'll uh, we'll be in the season of hill hill walkers versus rabbit holes and um, right, yeah, yeah, versus hills. I think it brings people out um, this time of year, and so a lot of our work will be using either the all-terrain vehicle or be able to use or stretching people off of hills and uh, hillsides that. Where it's just a, it's just you know a heck of a walk or something, and I think crews are getting pretty wise to the fact that we we carry a few other bits of transport kit that will help them out, um, and uh, so sometimes it's just assisting crews, um, and it could be difficult extrication out of a house, it could be that um, you're on standby for a fire, uh, they're, they're not the you know the the greatest or most interesting jobs but they're it's part of what we part of what we do as a as a job anyway but i think as the weather turns you'll see the high impact rtcs and the self-inflicted incidents um increase um there's obviously a constant threat of security concerns with mta that's never off the table and there's a lot of either minor incidents or potentials um within that bracket that that's a pretty common occurrence but Normally on shift, we'd be if we're not going to to that, we'd be uh, making sure that we've got there's a lot of kit to check. We've got you know people are called it Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds haven't got anything on the vehicles that we have to check. Um, so it's about going through kit and equipment. It's about making sure that we're competent and current in what we do. So we do a lot of on-station training or should do, um, and making sure that it's it's all prepped and sorted so we often go through our standing operating procedures we do on station uh, clinical training as well and then the next minute you might be uh asking to do a, a water rescue because we i think we're quite we're quite well qualified in the in the world of water rescue where some other services have have struggled we're called upon quite a lot to that so it, it really depends the day-to-day um apart from the current fit testing issue is about keeping up as a paramedic in these in these remote environments i think there's a there's a lot to do if you want to do your job properly but yeah if you want to do it properly there's a lot to do yeah fair and there's there's some something about heart is like so as i understand you guys work in a team right and yeah um so you know as, as specialist paramedics um certainly in, in our service we work on a car and we have our the way that we're deployed and then for uh, kind of non-specialist operational crews tend to work on ambulance and sometimes you have depending where you work um a rotor with a permanent crewmate um or periods where you don't have a permanent crewmate and you end up working with anyone 
and then that's further compounded by arriving at a job um, especially kind of on the borderline with other um, operating areas where you might uh, be at a case looking after a patient with people that you don't know very well or that you haven't worked with very often or that you don't know at all and then one of the um, I guess fairly unique aspects of pre-hospital care is you have to establish some rapport and teamwork kind of dynamic out of all those components um, quickly to, to provide effective care. Um, so, but, but with Heart, that's slightly different, isn't it? Because you work as a team of, what is it, six um, staff? Where we are, yeah. It's... Yeah. Can you just just um, have a bit of a chat about that, if that's all right? The, the difference between team dynamics and teamwork and, um, and how, that, how, that is, how that works on cases, I guess. Yeah. So, as I said, you've got this national picture. And as long as you hit the minimum core requirement, then you could run teams of six, seven or eight. But obviously, it's down to that local service to be able to manage that. And where we are, we've got six. I think, you know, hopefully in the future, we'll, we'll increase to, you know, to, to other numbers as well. Um, but within those six people, you have two of you that are pretty much assigned to a C1 car from base. Um, and the reason why you're not out and about doing C1s or doing all jobs is that is the amount of training that you've got to keep up with. And if you're on base, then you're able to take part in all of that training, all of that um, teamwork, um, regardless of, um, of other jobs that come in. So if a C1 comes in, you're on your car, you jump off to that job, go and do that, come back again. Uh, you'll have four others that are pretty much the core of that team for the day. So you'll have a team leader someone to drive that team leader because they're too posh to drive themselves and, of and then two on another vehicle which allows the second on the secondary vehicle to be able to pick up another vehicle you know specialist vehicle or resource if if required and the majority of the time you're going out as a six occasionally people might phone up and say can we have some people to do this or can you know we need some assistance we only need a couple of bodies then it might be you might split your team um, it's I've, as a team leader, I've split the team a few few occasions when there's a, a lot going on. Um, but yeah, you, you normally work in in that sort of pattern. But it's massively reliant on teamwork. You 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 become acutely aware of where people's specialisms are and what they're good and what they're not good at. If you've got someone on your team that swims like a brick, then they may not be the person that you flush down a river. And but I hope we. We're aware of where we are, I think, and um, in the different require in the different capabilities. People have their preferences, um, but it's not particularly about that. It's really about are you prepared to uh, live a little for your for your mates and your colleagues? Are you prepared to muck in um, for each other and, and work for each other? And and I think being self motivated is a big part of that. You know, we we you, you try and get two paramedics to do one job it's a nightmare um you try and get six of them to do it then it, it's quite a um a culture shift to come into heart and know that everyone's like you know in this big old bun fight together uh so something sometimes when you when you turn up at a job it looks like the undateables are turned up um, to to assist but hopefully and the right thing to do is that yeah, we should be there as the resource to what that requirement is, and as a, as a team. Um, but yeah, it's it's really about um, making the effort for each other. I think that's what gets yeah. you through. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because you kind of, like you say, if it, and without being judgmental, I I've not been to many jobs where six paramedics have turned up. But you kind of you find we've got a lot of different qualifications in the service these days, and it's almost a bit of a blessing because. Um, clinically you, you tend to have someone more senior that would take responsibility for certain for like clinical plans whereas people that aren't so task focused with clinical interventions may be able to give some oversight and, and it, it works quite well um yeah. with people's strengths and weaknesses and, and whatever else and you kind of think if you have six um people that are clinically qualified to the same level and operationally you know in terms of their specialty all do the same thing um is it do you end up in a situation with, with too many cooks or you know how who who takes oversight is that pre-planned or how does that work i think that's the um that's the benefit of having a good team leader if you've got some because 
Yes, it's is that is that why you stepped down? Yeah, <laughs> I will vote it out. Um, if you have an incident that's that's unfolding, and you go to a job that needs like massive bandwidth, and there's a there's there's a, there's a lot going on, and you're up against it, then yes, that team leader is earning their money for um, managing the risk, managing the people in the risk, um, and trying to do a, a bigger bigger role. But it's also at those jobs where you haven't got all that going on but you still need to put to portion you know a decent you know the right amount of people to to what the job's requiring so a good team leader will will limit the amount of involvement that people are giving as well as they'll you know that um allowing it to happen i think that um i remember going to a a call with one of your colleagues one of our colleagues we're all friends aren't we um try to be yeah, um, who uh, asked us to turn up and someone on scene asked us to stand down, um, said that we weren't required and I phoned up um, a friend of ours and said, are you sure you want us to stand down because it sounds pretty meaty? And he just said, please, you've got six paramedics, please turn up. <laughs> and I yeah. think you know, it's, it can be very overwhelming and um, very quickly, I think, you know, the, those critical jobs. But I think we're also... As paramedics, we have this really weird disease that we're all so protective of our own um, clinical ability, and therefore we want to be the people that have, um, you know, come hell or high water, being the person that's achieved for that patient. So I think yeah. our wanting to care and our wanting to deliver the right treatment sometimes in that can cloud our own judgment in whether we are able to do that or whether we actually need to broaden out uh and increase our bandwidth to be able to um achieve the best results rather than a big pat on the back for ourselves yeah and i guess i think the thing is and the advice i give to people when they ask when they should request a ccp or a critical care like enhanced care team my kind of advice generally and it might be because i'm fairly new and still very keen is that um if it's crossed your mind then just request us mm. because <clears throat> i've got no problem with turning up watching them do a great job and then going back and not having to do any paperwork. Um, it's just nice to get out the house, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and, and then on the other hand, if, if we do need to do any interventions, then we're there and that's happy days. But I think it's having that recognition that, you know, just because you've requested some support doesn't mean, you know, the, the picture might change. You might not actually need it, but it's best to have people there and not need them than, than the other way around, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think, I think the worst thing is, is when, People say, oh, we've got this incident going on. Um, we'll call you if it develops. And we're thinking, well, we're 45 minutes away. <laughs> yeah. If it develops, it's too late. So we might as well just go. And then if 30 minutes into the call we're not required, then we just turn around and come home again. But I think, you know, if we do, if we are thinking early and we're thinking, like, who do we want with that patient as well when they're in that environment and they need to come out into our common environment, which would be, our ambulance on the way to hospital and they need to get there then who do you want to be doing that and i i would always say i'd, I'd want a clinician doing that job so we don't we can't always see what potentials are going to be there but i would absolutely if you're thinking about it call and we've got direct numbers you can call through um eoc they can they can contact the heart team leader but it's people would be far happier about coming out earlier rather than going it's all gone a bit wrong can you come and help us out now yeah or the the one that really gets to me is when people are like oh we had a job that would have been good if you were there earlier yeah. Um, yeah. and it went wrong for all of these reasons and you're like <laughs> yeah i was probably having a coffee when that came in so <laughs> exactly. are we um, having a coffee yeah well i mean that's it i didn't want to breach the the um difficult question of tasking you on on nights because i know you like to get your head down but <laughs> Although I can't really throw those jokes around, glass cool. houses and all that. It's gone a bit crackly. I can't hear what you said. <laughs> um, cool. All right, nice one. Th cheers for that. So that takes us into the next question then, which is um, kind of two parts, really. The first I've bolted on, um, but it's really like when, I guess we discussed that idea, of, if, if you've got any idea to, to request heart, but when would be some indications that we should uh, request heart? Um other than obviously the kind of having an awareness of your specialist capabilities, are there any kind of incidents that you think would be 
um, a time that you should definitely be requested? Uh, yeah, I, I think if there's a if there's like a, a rule as, as something is that if you've got a restriction, whether that's a restriction of your ability to get to the patient or to get the patient to you, and that patient could do with being managed clinically. So whether that's with junks equipment, um, management, pain relief, et cetera, et cetera. If it needs any of those things, either to be able to get to the casualty or to get the casualty to you, and that you can't do that from where you are, I would request heart. So we can, we can go through all of the, do you do this? Do you do that? Do you do something else? But there's usually, um, our common thing is to breach a cordon under the right and appropriate um, procedures to be able to get to a casualty, to be able to do what's required for them and give them to you, to someone that's going to take them to hospital and do the best things that they can do. So it's about what, what will make that picture better for that patient. And if that is something that can be delivered through any sort of, any of those restrictions, then absolutely cool, because um, otherwise we're doing a disservice to that patient. I know it sounds pretty heavy, but um, I'd want it if it was me. Um, I might pick the people, but I'd want it if it was me. And I think that everyone should have that if that facility is there. And we shouldn't deny them that just because we've got a bit of pride or because we wish we were doing it or we're doing something else. But you think how ready you can get when a patient's delivered to you and you've got your kit dump ready, you've got your management ready, and you're able to take that care over and do, and you are, but you are a better position as a clinician in receiving that patient to be able to do a better care for them um, because you've got a greater bandwidth and ability to to deal with them in your role. So I think if there's anything, it's if something's missing and there's a restriction there, uh, then call for sure. Yeah, nice one. And I think that's it's a bit easier to remember it in those kind of terms than than like you say with a, a checklist approach, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. Um, cool. So so when we do inevitably call and. Um, you know, hopefully your your taskings will skyrocket after this podcast goes viral. That'd be great. <laughs> um, when we do, and and you turn up at these jobs, um, how have you got any kind of tips or advice for operational staff or you know non heart staff, um, and how we can work effectively with you guys at a serious or even a major incident where obviously stress is high? Um, any kind of tips and advice around that? Yeah, good friend of mine. Um said to me once he said facts are your friends and this wasn't really particularly to do with our job but I've always remembered it in that um tell people the facts don't um over egg something or underplay anything it's just you know the fact is this patient has got this they're in this environment and we could do with this and if someone turns up and says well actually we can probably do that with your carry chair and your blanket then that might be the right idea but it's actually about presenting the facts rather than overall over egging it or under under plan something um to be able to because because otherwise we've got either a, a false risk or we've not um acknowledged the risk so i think we need to work those things out for sure but uh yeah be open be accommodating muck in as well and you know try not to do the blind eye thing and go well they'll sort it out now um we we with with the major incident especially there there will always be a lot of people doing a lot of things um doing a lot of work for a lot of people that's just the way it is so i think we all need to be mucking in and playing our part so i think the tips would be negotiate well and honestly um be open and muck in yourself as well because i don't think anyone's going to say no i don't want you to carry that into the stretcher if uh, <laughs> if that's required i think we'd all everybody welcome it It'd be useful yeah fair and and with major incidents <clears throat> i know it's a subject in itself um but we've got these kind of communication and command structures within a major incident um obviously as operational staff we should have a command structure with our own um operational commanders how do you guys slot into that um and how does communication work then do we still communicate vertically with our team leader or horizontally with you guys or a mixture of the both yeah i, I think the uh, 
there's plenty of incidents I've been to where where you you're actually all all mucking in together. It might be that large RTC or um, or a you know usually a transport issue, isn't it? You know, one unders train derailments, all that kind of thing, where it's all hands against the pump. But um, the as in a command structure, I think us as colleagues we 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 chat to ourselves freely, but as long as those commun that communication is pathway is going back to somebody. And that ultimate responsibility on scene is going to be that um, operational commander, that operational team leader, the person that's um, taking the, you know, the cap and the tabard, more importantly, for the ambulance service. That person is the person that all routes need to need to come back to. The heart team leader role is a is a functional role. It's a specialist asset role. It's not the the person that's going to be ultimately the one in charge that they're the ones that are bringing a specialist asset to that incident so they're a functional role they're they're doing a specific job they will you know naturally because of the amount of outfits we've got um we is naturally a subject matter expert within that incident as well that can be called on to be be used in that in that place but they're not there as the authority they're there to serve that incident um so that's that's really how that operational structure works on scene. Um, sometimes it might default to actually that person might have all the knowledge and that that's great and you know lean on them, rely on them absolutely. But uh, it should be working with and uh, quite closely with the operational commander that's uh, designated by the, your your trust to do that job and not the heart team leader. They're not there to take over. They're there to serve the incident. Yeah, I think that's a <coughs> excuse me. I think that's a useful kind of disparity to be aware of, isn't it? That that you're bringing a specialist capability to the scene, but because you know, it, it, I guess it depends on the incident. But you don't want to treat it as another six paramedics have turned up and can you do this and you do that other thing. If yeah. there's a specialist requirement, um, and so as as always, that um, oversight and and open communication and make sure everyone's kind of using a shared mental model is useful. Yeah, um, but I guess for us to have an awareness that if there's a specialist requirement, that's kind of what you guys are there to provide. Um, is, yeah, is useful to bear that in mind. Yeah, I think I think there's a, there's a few things that that probably you know sometimes don't help by you know natural default is if if I was on a ambulance and I turned up with my crewmate that I'd commonly worked with for a, for a long time, then my default would be to work with them very closely and to either ask them to pass me something. Or for me to do something or second guess what they were doing because we've worked closely and I think there is a bit that with heart is that you normally because you, you you're in that team working environment a lot you can easily just go to your heart team member to say oh can you do this can you get that let's do this and sometimes that uninvolves other people in the scene but unintentionally I don't think anybody wants to do that but I think when you know people well when you work in a team it's, it's much easier to ask or expect someone to do something that you've got a, quite a close relationship with than someone that you don't know. Um, so I, yeah. don't, I don't think it's ever an intention that people would be pushed out, but I think hopefully that, that can explain a little bit of why sometimes we will talk quite closely within ourselves sometimes. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course, it does make sense. I've got to be honest, I didn't really hear much of it because all I heard was you say heart team member and I thought I had to call you out on it. Yeah, fair dues. You've got me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no no it does make sense mate and yeah that, that, that makes a lot of sense and i think it kind of alludes to the the next point i wanted to discuss in that not all these jobs go very well and um you know a lot, a lot do but we don't learn a lot from the jobs that go well so and and i know um by nature of the work that you do often the ha team are involved in major incidents um and in you know these kind of incidents that end up having a public inquest and inevitably there's things that have gone wrong um so to that end i wonder if we could have a discussion about a job that you've attended that um could have gone better or there are aspects that didn't go too well and just maybe a, a, a kind of a bit of reflection on on why that happened and, and what was the issues and whether it was a communication thing or or um some sort of issue of the interaction between yourselves and the operational side or or other services or yeah have you got any jobs like that are you looking at my show reel is there a 
Is there well, just... I, didn't, I, d- I didn't want to. I thought I'd let you choose because I'd be going for it all day. It's <laughs> very generous of you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, there's one that will. I think will always um, spring to mind. And we went to a um, an incident a, a while back now, and there was an inquest into it. There was um, a lot that came out of it, and I and I I'll be a bit sketchy on the details because I think some of the things are probably still being um, worked out even years later in that we we went to an incident that was um, being uh, run by run by the police and uh, I think that we turned up and were tasked to a few other bits and pieces around that job and around that area whilst the job was going on so we, we, we didn't it didn't have our full focus and when you go into incidents where uh, other services are dealing and it's their speciality and you're there for if it all goes wrong, sometimes that can lead you into a bit of a false sense of security that it's it's their job, it's their play. We're only here if something wrong, something goes wrong, or something bad happens. Um, you can rest on your laurels a little bit, and I think that the the sort of initial negotiation stuff didn't go too well. So in in our incident management uh, structure, we there wasn't a operational commander there at the time we liaised as much as we could with uh, the other services and and then sort of got the information, sat back a little bit. And then a couple of us just said, if this does go wrong, we need to make sure we've got our our kit ready and we've got a kit dump and we're set up for a resus and we've got all the eventualities um, ticked off. Can Um, I just ask, obviously without you going into too many details, are you able to say what this the kind of specialist capability you were there to provide was? I, obviously, you're working with police. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Yeah. We. It was. Um. I should have said it was. Um. It wasn't a full MTA, but it was a. It was a hostage situation. Fine. So, uh, in a residential area, and uh, within that residential area, there was there was obviously it's well cordoned off with by the by the by the police, and they were, you know, very much involved in their negotiations and especially their specialist teams uh, being involved in that as well and uh, so a couple of us were saying you know we need we need to start getting sorted out and, and do this and there was a moment where uh, somebody from one of the services walked past and went ah these things never materialize we'll all be going home in a minute anyway and you know that the, the cynicism with that we all carry we we, um, we have to we definitely have to guard ourselves with um that was all yeah yeah you're, you're right and i don't think anybody knew they were right but there was definitely that common conversation and then suddenly there were some shots fired and someone shouting out medic and uh i think if there was there was a couple of people that really um found that quite a insult to their senses and there was a, so people freeze in that in that moment and but the the effort that there was to do the right thing was massive, and I can't deny that everybody wanted to do the right, the right job and the right thing, and go and treat um, what what was effectively two patients at the end of it. Um, that was three, three essentially, but uh, to go and do that job was was absolutely right, and the effort that people put in was, you know, you cannot deny that. But the preparation and the the kind of lackluster. Um, atmosphere is what caught us all out I think I think we were just going on the assumption that it all works out right in the end or nothing ever materializes but suddenly it did materialize and we were absolutely up against it and that's from all grades all the all grades all the way through and that was from the onset of someone shouting out medic to 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 effectively two resus efforts that um, actually went very well and had good you know good short term outcome. We it also had an impact on transport and destinations, and it had a massive impact on uh, um, feedback and governance that we had with other specialist resources that were there as as well. So um, just in the non preparation for what is should be your day job, which is all of our day job is treating patients because the lack of preparation I think had a huge impact so I think that was definitely one that went wrong and that could have been 
our cost personally if that had been a wider MTA job or something with a greater risk. The risk was contained, but um, yeah, it could have had a catastrophic effect if we hadn't have been um, uh, as keen as we were really. Yeah, fair. And I think, I mean, it goes to that kind of cliched saying, doesn't it, of train hard, fight easy. Yeah. Um, which I, I find that in my job quite a lot as well. And it's it's, it's really easy to bec- become complacent with certain types of call because you arrive at a call and it fits a um, pattern that you know mm. that that I, like most of the time ends up as a non-incident. And it's very, I think it's very easy in human nature to kind of think, well, I know the the most statistically the most likely outcome is going to be a null kind of job. So why go through all the effort of preparing it? Um, yeah. But then, like you say, when it does hit, it's you, like you say, you can't do everything in the moment. Then it's much easier to have a plan laid out that you can then enact, rather than trying to kind of think re- reflexively on the back foot to, to address problems. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's there's plenty of things I could you know I could definitely elaborate on if we you know I'm I'm aware of you know confidentiality etc and I and I wouldn't want to diss anybody's um, contribution or, or or effort I think that it is that you know there's so many issues that would have come out of that and were affected by just not being quite ready for it and I think if we if we don't prep things you know basic things if we don't have suction ready on a recess if we don't have um like uh antiemetics available if we don't have um reversible uh, reversing agents ready if we don't have all these sorts of things that we say is is normal practice and we don't have them at a standard job then what are we expecting to put in place for the abnormal because the abnormal is where it all goes wrong anyway so uh, we just i think we just need to be you know step up and be prepped um because we can always pack it away again can't we yeah, exactly. I think that's the bottom line, isn't it? Um, what's another cliched saying? Plan for the worst, hope for the best. That's good. I'll um, write that one down. Mate, you, you can have that one, mate, for free. Is that free? Yeah, just don't get it tattooed. <laughs> um, fine, cheers to that, mate. Um, back to a bit of a light-hearted question then, as we draw to a close. Um, I'm sure there'll be a few out there listening who are kind of interested in, in um, specialising and potentially joining Heart. Um, so for those that are um how you know have you got any advice on how people can work towards a career in heart or or um kind of gain experience in the area learn a bit more about it if they have a view to um, potentially specializing in that area um yeah um one thing would be go on the naru website national ambulance resilience unit naru um uk there's quite a lot of information about heart on there so if you're interested in that that does give you a bit of a bit of a heads up and a bit of an idea of what might be um, required especially in training training you know is it, it's part of it's a, it's a fair part of what we do so it does take um a, a bit out of your diary but i think the main things are would be to work towards it would be be a good paramedic and when it's all stripped away and uh you're the other side of the cord and you're across the river or whatever it might be that you you're still going to continue to be a good paramedic regardless of whether you've got all your conveniences and your monitors um you've still got to work remotely and be a good paramedic um be a good team member get you know muck in like i said before um, be someone who's self-motivated and uh come along and try some stuff out with us it's good to, before if you were to think of an application and you were thinking oh, i don't know if i'm all right with heights or i don't know if i'm all right with confined spaces then then come along and you know call us up i think any any of the teams would happily um put something together um that will allow you to to test those things out because i think we find quite a lot that people aren't as bad as they think they might be so if you've got a quite a slight concern about something come and come and test it out um we've got other other programs in our vicinity we've got the sort um the sort car specialist operations uh training so you could you could apply for that. That gives you a bit of an insight into some of the capabilities that we do and some of the disciplines that we that we train in. Um, you're that you're then getting a bit of a real insight into what it involves. Um, and who doesn't like dressing up, really? So that's that's always a good one to do. Um, but I think that 
yeah, just just come in and inquire, come in and come in and find out, see if you can spend when when all these restrictions are over, come and spend a bit of a uh, bit of time doing observation shift, come out with us. We're absolutely more than happy to facilitate that. Um, definitely. Cool, nice one. Thanks for that, mate. Um, good stuff. So to draw it to a close, then I think it's it's been useful to chat over. Um, you know, a few of the different specifics and, and around the capabilities that you guys provide. Um, I think there's a lot more we could discuss, but, um, yeah, we don't want to go on all day, do we? Um, and I think it's provided a good overview. Um, do you, is there anything else that I haven't asked um, that you think is useful to kind of mention about the HA team? See, I'm learning. Um, <laughs> is there anything anything we haven't really gone over that you think is useful to to, to tell people about or um, are you kind of happy with that as an overview um, I think it's also worth mentioning that as much as we there's a big role in being a paramedic there's a big there's a big role in the vocational stuff that, that we do and I think sometimes it can be a little bit underplayed while that we dress up in this outfit or we do a bit of this or a bit of that but for those people who have got interest in um, water, working at height, MTA, clinical management of casualties, mass casualty work. Uh, we have people that join us that have got already an interest in, um, you know, science backgrounds and uh, so the CBRN environment really works for them. But across all the disciplines that you can, the beauty of heart is that you can work towards, uh, you know, a subject matter expert, a specialist within in that environment as well as being a paramedic so you know i've got a couple of tickets to my name but that you can if you if you if you show good application and good skill in that area and you've got genuine passion and interest you can also within being in heart you can get you know nationally recognized internationally recognized qualifications out of it within water rescue working at height rope rescue um so it's it's a very wide um like achievement platform really so um if you've got any of those interests I, I would say you know don't hesitate get involved nice one i appreciate that mate um yeah. and again appreciate you taking the time to speak to me what what i'll do is um offline i'll get a few links um off you if that's all right so things like the narrow website and and stuff that i can just stick in the notes for people to have a look at if they're interested in yep um and yeah like i say thanks for coming on mate i appreciate um you taking the time to to speak to me i have a, a busy day pleasure um <laughs> uh, anything else you'd like to add just before we go um no i don't think so just uh, thanks for thanks for listening thanks for the opportunity oh i wasn't listening but ho- hopefully others will <laughs> that was the uh that's for the, your audience just that, that oh right it. okay well, that's you've been, been a pain in the ass <laughs> no <laughs> no worries thanks mate I appreciate you coming on again and um, like I say we'll stick some stuff in the notes for people to look at Um, and that's it cheers mate appreciate it